This episode is sponsored by Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 170, How Jason Docton Used React and World of Warcraft to Help People's Mental Health. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and in this episode, we're going to be talking to Jason about his origin story and how, in part of that origin story, he started actually helping people with their mental health struggles while playing World of Warcraft. He had a whole guild going, he had other people helping him and stuff like that. It was a really interesting origin story, so I can't wait for you to hear that. And then we'll also be touching on some other topics such as imposter syndrome and burnout. And then, of course, Jason's own web development journey, how he learned web development and how that led him to actually help even more people. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review writing on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And this is the part where I normally do a full a full on sort of formal guest introduction but in this episode jason actually went through his origin story in great detail and i just think it's just best said by him so we're just going to cut to the interview right now and get this episode started all right everyone we have jason on the line here before we jump into this packed episode jason what's up how's it going how's your covid life doing and what have you been working on <laughs> uh, it's it- it's going good. I'm doing good. COVID life has, I, I hate to say this, but in, in some ways been a bit of a much needed break. I was traveling nonstop prior to this. So it's the longest I've been home in a while. Um, and as far as what I'm working on right now, I'm trying to build an open source electronic health records. So anybody working in healthcare could utilize a service like that without paying tons and tons of money. Hey, whoa. <laughs> Put a lot of people in our uh, in our city, I think. I think Hamilton, Ontario, some, where we're kind of based out of almost, is a very big center for open source, like um, not open source, but electronic health records, at least for Canada. I remember at one point there was like five or six startups that were working on the same thing, uh, trying to compete with each other. So. Watch out Hamilton, Ontario, I guess. <laughs> that's an awesome that's an awesome initiative though. Uh, are you building it yourself, Jason? No. Um, okay. no, thankfully not. I I got into it assuming that I was, but have managed to find a lot of good friends along the way. Yeah. And the the reason I asked that is because from your story, like I've read a bunch of articles and stuff like that, and it's really, really interesting. Like you have a really interesting origin story. So can you take us through how you went from medical school, like you were in medical school, to starting a nonprofit focused on covering mental health costs? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been, gosh, uh, about a decade or so now. Um, it's, it's so weird to be able to look back that far and not be a toddler or something. I still, <laughs> still can't process it. But no, uh, about a decade or so ago, I was 
going to school way too many hours. When I wasn't at school, I was working on an ambulance or in an emergency room and working way too many hours. And just had a really terrible panic attack one day. Um, I think from not taking care of myself and, and always being so stressed. Um, and everything kind of started to fall away after that. Um, you know, I'd noticed that every time you know, I went to school, I'd start to feel like my chest was getting really tight, like I couldn't breathe very well. I had just enough medical knowledge to be concerned, but you know, not enough to discern that you know this could be a panic attack and not something, something like a heart attack. So intuitively, I notice going to school is what causes me to feel this way. So you know, I take a break from school. It goes from you know like a couple of days to couple of weeks to, I think I'll just take the year off to, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just postpone this indefinitely for now and took the same, same approach towards work. I started to go to work, feel the exact same way. And it just started cutting everything out of my life because everything was causing me to feel like I was having a heart attack. Um, yeah, I think in my mind, it, it made sense at the time, but looking back now, I just stopped leaving home altogether. I was afraid to leave home. It seemed like the only place that I was safe from feeling that way. Started playing World of Warcraft nonstop. Just wasn't a whole lot else to do being stuck at home and yeah, I was I was really good at World of Warcraft, but you can only do that all day, every day for so long before it just starts to feel empty. And I had made the the decision that I didn't want to be alone anymore. I didn't want to be stuck here anymore. So, so maybe I just go through with taking my life and you know. Uh, not doing that anymore, not being stuck here. Um, I, you know, it was such a, a bizarre situation for me, though. I, I, I just kept feeling like if I, if I did that, if I took my own life, it, it would be subtracting from the world. Like I, I wouldn't have added anything. I'd just have taken away. So maybe, maybe there's a way that I can balance that out. Uh, maybe if I, could convince somebody else to, to not take their life, then, then somehow it balances out. So I had settled on that idea and set out into the only world that I, I really existed in at the time. And, and that was the world of Warcraft. I set out to find somebody that was thinking of, of taking their life and to try and convince them otherwise. I had no idea that in the process I would come across so many people that were thinking that way and, and just so many people that I, I felt like I, I needed to, to, to help. I needed to be there before, before I could go through with what I had intended to do. Um, it just hasn't stopped since. 
Yeah, that's a heavy, heavy story, but I think really important for everyone to hear. I think that's the key here is that uh, you're, thank you for sharing that so that other people I'm sure that can relate, can maybe follow a similar path or do something about it. Um, yeah, that, and so right after that, right after medical school and right after your kind of panic attack and depression, um, you started forming a, I think it was a guild, right? Like it was, it wasn't a nonprofit initially. It was initially like an actual World of Warcraft guild where you would go out with multiple people and try to help people. Is that right? Yeah. We, you know, as, as, as more and more people started hearing about what I was trying to do, there was a mix of, of those that, you know, wanted to, to talk and see if I could help and others who, who wanted to help and, you know, would wanted to figure out, you know, how could they, they help, could they talk with people in need? They had gone through this, they had felt that way at some point. Um, and so we, you know, still being mostly all day World of Warcraft players figured, well, I guess we just start a guild dedicated to this. So it's easy to organize and, you know, you could be in here and listen to people or you could be in here seeking help. And so we created the guild, Um, but the guilds, you know, the needs of the people that joined the guild really dictated what, what the guild was about, what it was centered on and, and ultimately what came from the nonprofit you know, we could, we could listen to people all day and, and hear them out and, and validate how they were feeling and share, you know, the, our experiences. And we could even try coaching people through it. But a lot of the people that reached out to us needed professional help. They needed a therapist. They needed somebody that could help them deal with a lot of things going on in life more than just, you know, thoughts of, of self-harm, but anxiety and depression and existing trauma, family issues, relationships. Um, so the guild became focused on helping people find therapists. And naturally, our guild was composed of people from all over the world. So we just looked for therapists anywhere in the world. Um, it was uh, never really an intention or, or even a thought of being international or, you know, here in the States or even in just California, but wherever our guild members were from, we, we wanted to help. Um, so guild forms around finding these therapists. Um, over time, we realize that finding a therapist, there's a bit of a science to it. Um, the therapist that works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And sometimes we have preferences from our therapists who we're most comfortable speaking to. And so we became really good at that. It's almost like a matchmaking service. You could join and we could get to know you and we could start to match you with somebody who we felt would be a good fit. And that everything was, was going really well with that. But the more we grew, the more people that joined, the more it became really clear that we could find somebody the best possible therapist for them. But if they couldn't afford it, if they didn't have insurance, it, it didn't really matter. So we tried, we had to try and figure out how to cover the cost. And <laughs> we just started crowdfunding it. Um, most of us were on disability. So 
We're just taking pieces of our disability check to try and cover other people's therapy, sometimes helping other people get on disability so that they could get access to those resources. Um, Eventually, even just boosting people in World of Warcraft. That idea came about uh, in in a frustrated conversation, but was a very powerful vehicle to help. We played World of Warcraft all day. There are people out there that don't have time to play World of Warcraft all day, but want, you know, want the loot, want some of those benefits. So why not? We get you super geared. You give us a bunch of cash. We pay somebody's therapist with that cash. And, you know, we we weren't thinking of legal stuff. We weren't thinking of gray areas. We just saw that we had a lot of members who had waited for years to get help. And this was the thing that stood in the way. We just saw that and and thought that was unacceptable. So by any means necessary. (laughs) That's uh, that's the entrepreneurial mindset right there kicking in all of a sudden. Uh, I mean, every, like, there were already people doing it. You might as well do it for the right cause, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't think there's a gray area there even. You know, I've, I've actually told that story in front of uh, Jeff Kaplan. Um, I, was, I was telling the story at USC, and I, he's an alum there and happened to be there to speak after me. And, um, I, you know, I'm sharing how we had completely broken the terms of service and now we're <laughs> doing all these boosting services and he's just in the back of the room like what the hell <laughs> okay cool did you get a chance to talk to him after yeah 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 actually uh, got to talk with him got lunch with him and got to know him a lot better and he's just a fascinating person really intelligent great storyteller um but you know, had at best a neutral view towards what we what we had done. So I guess that's the best we could ask for. None of our accounts got banned, so I guess we did okay. Yeah, just just for the audience out there, Jeff Kaplan uh, works for Blizzard. I think he's the vice president there or something at this point. Uh, so he definitely worked on World of Warcraft at the time. <laughs> he's he's retired. Um, okay, but yeah, he he did. He did work on World of Warcraft. He's the uh, in like the inventor of of Overwatch. Um, so he's he's worked on quite a few things over there. But that's what he's most known for. Yeah, I mean, he, I don't think he had a choice but to take a neutral view on that point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's quite the story. Again, like going again going from, I guess, panic attack in medical school and work to covering costs in any means necessary for people uh, is, is j- just for my own sake is m- are most people that reach out to you having trouble paying or do a certain like a, a good percentage have insurance or have you know disability that can cover it um, it, it's it's split pretty pretty well I'd say about 40 percent of the people that reach out to us don't have the ability to pay for therapy. The, the rest that reach out, you know, it's, it's helping find this therapist for them, find them the best therapist for them. And a lot of the times helping them navigate their healthcare system. I think it's, it's a lot of people just don't know how to use these resources that exist. It, it, it doesn't change that 
you know, especially here in the US, these resources are not good and there are tons of issues within it, but navigating what we have and, and taking any advantage we possibly can, uh, it, it's a, a real science at this point that we can't reasonably expect people to, to get. It's, it's, I would kind of measure it alongside how people in the US do their taxes. It doesn't need to be the way it is, but it is because it benefits select people. And we just have to deal with that, unfortunately. Yep. And 40% is a really high number. I was really hoping it was going to be less than that. That is a huge number of people that can't afford or can't get subsidized uh, therapy. That's crazy to me. Um, yeah, that's that's insane. Uh, it's amazing what you're doing for them. Uh, but just to get a little bit to the web development side of things, because the way you and I connected, uh, I was, I think, just talking about podcasts or something like that. And I have a lot of web developers in my t Twitter sphere. And um, so someone just kind of reached out and been like, hey, this you, you learned how to code to be able to create your nonprofit website. In a span of, what, four months, you were able to create like a full-on kind of web application website. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. How was that process of teaching yourself how to code throughout this thing that you're still doing? Um, it, it was it, it was a unique experience. Um, so I, I had been trying to get a new website for our team for a long time. Um, I you know tried going the the pro bono route as as every nonprofit attempts to and. We just weren't really getting much done. We tried paying for help to build a website, and the first iteration of our website looked really good, but it wasn't functional. It wasn't accessible. We tried going to another group to to finish the website, and they were willing to do it pro bono, but you know, still didn't. It just wasn't working, and and so much of it was based in Webflow and required a, a very interesting pattern of skills um like it it's definitely to your benefit to know js to use webflow but you don't necessarily have to but also some things that people build on webflow are heavily dependent on js and it just it just seems like anytime we tried to get a website built on there it it was a bigger headache than anything else and so I was tired of telling the team that we'd have a new website soon and decided I would just figure it out myself. Um, I, I think in researching all of this, I had learned this term Jamstack. And I was like, what is that? Sounds really cool. And I could not <laughs> wrap my head around what in the world a Jamstack was or why this was important. but. You know, everywhere I, I came across this word, it talked about it like it was a revolutionary thing happening. Like I, I thought this was Web 3.0, and I was just so blown away. Um, I'd start to go to some of these websites. Uh, I think, um, is it Bjams or Bjamis? Bjamis IO. Um, it's an an agency that does a lot of Jamstack related stuff. 
I'd gone to their site and interacting with it was amazing. Our website, you know, like you still had to just wait for something to load. And then the responsiveness, like stuff was everywhere. It was, it was awful. And then I go to this site, which claims that it is like a beacon within the agency world and within the Jamstack architecture and everything is lightning fast, instant, super responsive, beautiful, all very highly interactive. I was just so blown away. It's like this, I want to know this. I want to do this thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. And just pouring over their resources, you know, I was looking through everything that they they talked about and still couldn't wrap my head around. Okay. So what is storybook then? What is forestry? <laughs> wait. So Gatsby is a host. Oh wait, no, there's Gatsby sites, cloud site. Okay. How do I do this? I like, I just, it just drove me crazy. I, I think it, it was so maddening that I had to figure it out and I didn't have any kind of base level to, to build from there was no ground. I didn't know you had to know JavaScript or what the difference between JavaScript and TypeScript was. Okay, wait, what is CoffeeScript? Is Java and JavaScript the same thing? <laughs> this looks different. How does HTML fit into all of this? Why is CSS like this? I became fascinated with it. And after you know, just trying to sort out what websites, what services people typically liked or leaned to. I came across Vercel and I came across Next.js and somehow happened upon Tailwind. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what any of this is, but people are calling it a stack. I don't know what a stack is, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this stack and I'm gonna figure it out. And I think this all happens sometime around August and I finish our site sometime around early October, I think. Um, yeah, I, I just fell into a hole of all of it. I learned JavaScript rapidly. I learned the middlewares. I built the backend features to this, the Stripe integrations, the... Uh, forms and, and all of the backends to the forms, learned Express, threw away Express, <laughs> learned, <laughs> learned, just um, still have kind of a, a hodgepodge of knowledge, but I think enough functional knowledge to be able to build the things that I can think of. How did you learn? Like, what did you go down any sort of traditional paths with like a Udemy course or? Boot, obviously not a boot camp since you completed it in four months, but did you learn from just tutorials? Um, no, no. Um, I, I just never had the attention span to, to finish a course or to, to do much of that. I, I think actually this felt course um, that, that you made that I've started to go through is the longest I've been able to focus on something like that. Um, but I think it's it's also because now I'm a little bit more familiar and I actually understand what Svelte is in the context of everything. <laughs> but it, it's um, when I first got into this, I, I did what 
I kind of have always done. This has worked for me through college and, and becoming an entrepreneur. I, I really took a, a fair amount of time to understand who to learn from. And I think that's just one of the biggest priorities that most people miss. There's a million Udemy courses. There's a million YouTube channels that are all going through this. And it was so conflicting because I see people using class components. I see people, you know, extend class component this. And I was like, what is that? And then I see functions and then I see arrow functions. And I'm like, what? How, what is this? Is this the same thing? Is it not the same thing? Why did, <laughs> what is the difference? It, it just, it, it became very, very important to try and find sources of truth and sources of wisdom. And then to check that against what the, the mass community was using. So like when I was researching Next.js, Everything I could find online was Next.js versus Gatsby, Next.js versus uh, 11T, Next.js versus all kinds of, of different things. And still not really knowing what Next.js or any of these things was, I could still work through and see that people who were obsessed with the cutting edge, but also needed stability, seemed to go to Next.js. Time and time again, this was somebody's fallback. I could watch a YouTuber having fun with something like Astro um, and, and maybe Astro and Svelte together. And then I would notice when I went through all of their project repos that they fell back to Next.js and React. And I was like, okay, so that's, that's middle ground. Um, and then start starting to look through commonality in how people wrote code. Okay, so a lot of these newer videos, people are using arrow functions that, okay, that looks different. That looks more correct. You know, I started following Lee Rob and, and some of the other people behind Vercel and XJS and looking at their repos and comparing that to other people's repos and, you know, very quickly discerning, okay, so this is what optimized code looks like. This is how Lee Rob puts together code when he's just making something for himself for fun. And then this is how Lee Rob puts together stuff when he's making it for the community and expects scrutiny, expects people to collaborate on it. Okay, split the difference here. Um, and you know, from there, once once I had that that kind of base knowledge of where to look to learn from, um, it was entirely reworking stuff. It was looking at what already existed trying to understand why that worked the way it did and then breaking it and seeing if I could make it work again. Uh, so I like went to Tailwind's website repo and learned all about how the people who make Tailwind actually use Tailwind. Um, and, you know, if I could get just one page to function as I expected it to based on just copy paste, okay, then how do I break this? Why does this break this? If this breaks it, then how do I fix it? And if this is what fixes it, now I actually understand what, what this does. Um, it, it became really easy to, to rework these things and, and 
build them into to what I needed. And thankfully, there's also just so much information out there on on a lot of the component side um, that you at least have enough stuff to compare and contrast and copy paste and then break and fix. Would you say that you that you like learning? Because the way you're describing, you know, having going through all this stuff really with a fine tooth comb would personally anyway frustrate myself. Do you, do you do you like really like learning or is it was it just the drive to say okay like we're going to get this project done and I don't care and you're just going to go just go for it. Um I I I don't think I would say I like learning. Um I think I like solving problems and I can balance being frustrated with being motivated. Um, I mean, there, there were days where I just sat there completely just gridlocked in knowledge. Um, the, the Stripe integration actually took me the longest because everywhere I looked, I could not find a very clear breakdown of how to do custom dollar amounts for the donation widget on our site. The closest I could find was somebody had explained it, but they had explained it entirely in TypeScript, which I had no idea. And I had assumed that this was totally different than JavaScript at the time. So it seemed like a lost cause. And it, I mean, I would work on this, you know, maybe seven, eight hours a day for several days, just constantly trying to break it and fix it until it made sense. Um, it was it was just constant trial and error, but it was it was just that level of frustration and and refusing to not figure it out that got me to eventually figure it out and go oh okay actually this is pretty fucking easy damn it um, did not know how this worked reading through their documents and and especially because Next.js was a part of this you know I was. There were documents that were a lot closer to how this works with Express, but I had learned pretty early on the um, how how heavy it can be when you just saturate your repo with other repos. Um, so I, I refused to install any more packages than I needed to. Just a quick word from this episode's sponsors. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? I mean, most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything that they need to, or they're just way too complex and no one wants to use them because they require constant prodding. Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, is different though because it's worse. Wait, no, no, we mean it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and many other nice, positive adjectives. Let's look at some of their highlights. Things like team-based workflows. Individual teams can use shortcuts default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. And other useful things like tight VCS integrations. Whether you use GitHub, 
GitLab, or Bitbucket, Shortcut ties directly into them so you can update progress right from the command line. That is super keyboard friendly. And while we're on that topic, yes, the rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard friendly with their power bar that allows you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing right in the trash. And finally, iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with the accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try at shortcut.com slash H-A-T-T. Again, that's shortcut.com slash H-A-T-T. Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. And now back to the episode. It sounds it sounds like it sounds like you sort of uh sort of forged your path like many of us do where you think okay you know let's get this page up and running let's you know it'll be easy it'll be easy it's just stripe or it's just this it's just that and then that one little tiny thing holds you up, holds you back that's when i walk away and usually mike comes in <laughs> to be clear like i'm like you know what i don't know what's going on mike here's the repo see you later you know i'm out of here for a couple hours or something um but uh it sounds like you sort of like forged that path and just like you know wouldn't let the the walls the walls the gridlock as you put it you know kind of keep you keep you there you know keep you on the stripe integration you figured it out and so you know that's 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 great and it's also great for your you know just for problem solving like you said it, it's it's uh, it's a double-edged sword, you know. I I, th- I think there is an equally applaudable uh, approach of knowing when to stop, you know, knowing when okay, this I'm not going to work on this anymore. I, I I don't know it, and it's not worth the time figuring it out. Somebody else maybe could, but you know, when you when there aren't um, the resources to do it. You know, it's it's um, you you have these these very limited, real basic resources at the end of the day of money or time. And if you don't have money, then you're going to have to throw more time at it. And if you don't have time, you better have money to throw at it. And so, you know, I just weigh out. No, we don't have the money for this, but I I guess I can just keep throwing time at it until it gets done. Um, <laughs> just. Yeah, I, I have always kind of had that um, that mindset. I, I think some some entrepreneurs, uh, you know, they they're very fortunate, and um, you know, luck is is favorable for them. Um, and I see that in in all aspects of life. I think some people are are born with the right resources, and have access to to different resources. Some people get lucky in some of their access to that, but. I've always been more of the relentless person. I, I will fail a million times and inevitably succeed. Whereas some people, you know, will succeed very quickly, and then the moment they don't succeed, they they start to give up. Um, it's it's not always a fun thing, a good experience, but uh, sometimes pretty rewarding. It's the grind to what I always refer to it as is the, it's sort of the grind to the to the aha moment where you're struggling until you're not and usually not ever not with everything but usually it, it something just clicks whether it be a video game or anything you know you struggle 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 and people will drop off but then there's all of a sudden you know you're in that one match of that video game or you're you're doing that that one new project for a client or whatever and all of a sudden you're like oh like 
I'm done. Like I've, I just finished it. Like it's easy. Like, oh, okay. And then you kind of move on. And, and it's, and it's, a, what sucks about it is it's, it's usually not a, a curve where the frustration and the difficulty goes up and then it slowly comes down. It's usually like up, 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 and then right down to zero. Oh, it's easy now. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's a, it's definitely a grind and it kind of sounds like you, uh, you know, you've mastered that art of just getting through those, those humps of, uh, of uh, frustration and anger and, and, and annoyance, if you, if you will. <laughs> that's that's the way. That's the path to become a developer, though. Honestly, like it's it's through that annoyance and through that grind. And you've given a lot of amazing insight, actually, Jason. Uh, the the thing that really stood out to me, and I actually wrote it down, is figuring out who to learn from is actually a really difficult path for us, for developers in general, because there's just so much content. You mentioned it as well, that like, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword that there is, you know, infinite amount of free content out there even that you can learn from and become a developer through. But as someone coming into it with blindly, like you did, to figure out and spend some that some of that extra time before you actually jump in and finding out the authorities on subjects. I, I love the example of taking Tailwind's site and taking taking their source code to figure out how Tailwind works. Because, of course, they are going to be the masters of their own domain. I would have never thought of that. Like, I don't have that mindset for some reason. And it's something that I, again, I wrote down because I think it's something that we need to kind of, I need to learn a little bit from you on that. And I need to kind of apply to my own knowledge because... It is a huge detriment to go out and try to learn React from someone that has used it a couple times, but it really is a Vue developer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that example. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's just it's just the reality of it. And one thing that like it's like how how did you come up with that? Like, is that how you apply? To learning anything new like if you're learning you know photography and you're learning a photography technique is that the same thing that you would apply to that yeah yeah i i think i've i've, I've definitely learned this way for as long as i can i can remember you know i think like some some students where i you know i never really had to study <clears throat> i i could figure it out um well enough but it, it that kind of mentality and, and that approach only goes so far. Right? I think what what really evolves that is, you know, being able to be very very effective in the brief times that you are learning. Um, if you can absorb content, that's that's you know what what I'm kind of um, harping on is is just that ability to very quickly absorb knowledge, but making that as effective as possible is where I think a lot of people fall off outside of school because it doesn't seem as advantageous. Um, you know, having more time to play games instead of do homework, very advantageous. <laughs> um, you know, in, in, in this case, it, um, it, it very much becomes seeing and, and, and mirroring success this is a natural thing for, for any person to do, to want to mirror success, to want to look towards the figureheads. It's, it's why we're addicted to influencers and, you know, why there's, there's such a huge booming industry around them. Um, but, you know, when you break down that most influencers are just very confidently wrong, 
um, then it's then it becomes a challenge of okay, how do I find the people who are justifiably con, uh, confident in what they're saying? And I, I pinpoint the ability to do this. Uh, you know, unfortunately, to you know, it comes down to trauma. You know, this is this is what happens when you grow up and you can't afford to be wrong. When you have to be right, when you have to get things correct, you learn to survive in that way. Um, you know, I have lots of different experiences growing up where I needed to know what I was talking about, or I needed to know what I was doing and there wasn't room for error. So I had to get good at finding out how to learn these things and discerning who is a good beacon of truth and who isn't is part of that. Sometimes it's, it's intuitive. Like I can just start to read about someone or see a little bit of a video of someone and, and kind of call out whether I think this person legitimately is, is very good and knows what they're doing versus this person just making content. Um, and then it's more the, the other side, the compare and contrast. So if all of these sites that I really love when I look at them on built with or if they all are kind of pinpointing to the same thing, there's probably some level of importance there. As much as this person is kind of grandstanding on Twitter about championing a certain language, I'm looking at all their repos and they don't do that. So I don't, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the person to, to follow. Um, I, I love this piece, but um, I came across a, a YouTuber named Harry Wolf really early on in trying to learn development. And he, he had a video where he was explaining how to make a form as part of a, a video series on a blog with Tailwind and React. And he, <laughs> I, I love this quote, but he had said, like, the difference between a, a good developer and a great developer is that the great developer knows where to steal code from <laughs> and as he's copy and pasting something from the tailwind site. And I was like, that's actually, yep. That's, that's what I figured out how to do. And that's what I'm going to keep doing here. That, that is a huge point uh, to make actually, because something that I've had juniors struggle with, like that I've mentored before is the fact that they kind of don't want to admit that they're a stealing code or Googling too much and stuff like that. And they're always like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I don't deserve the credit here because I Googled this. But I always fire back. I'm like, listen, not everyone knows that how to find that answer. That's a huge skill. And in fact, the more senior you get, it doesn't mean that you're going to be writing code off off top of your head all the time you just get better at querying the internet and, and finding the right code to put and copy and mimic or whatever it's nothing to do with the fact that you're you know relying on other people and you're not a good developer it's 100 percent that you've now fine-tuned your knowledge enough that you can find a solution to the problem that fits into the scope of the you know performance the uh best best practices and all that yeah, that's that. I think is is a powerful sentiment. It, this is this is at the end of the day, it's solving a problem, and how that problem gets solved is, you know, it's, there's some importance to it, but it, it is not as valuable as just actually getting it solved. And 
this is the way that a lot of things go. It, it, it's, I, I kind of relate it to, you know, being back in school where the ability to Google and find the answer to a question is, is a valuable skill set. It's, it's just as valuable as actually just remembering that and knowing that I, I know how to find the answer that <laughs> a lot of the times that's even better because it means that you have limitless knowledge. You can always figure out the answer and surprisingly, yeah, not, not everybody knows to, to do that. I realized that growing up as well, that some of the teachers I had didn't know how to Google stuff. If they didn't know something and it wasn't within a book on their shelf, they just straight up didn't know it and they didn't know how to know it. And that, be surprised how many people are, are, are there. So sure. If you find the solution to your problem in a different repo, it's not a matter of authentically you coming up with it on your own so much as it is, Hey, great. We solved the problem. And also this is where I found it. This is also a really cool thing to share. It's an additional resource so that we can all learn from it. Um, uh, you don't need the individual credit, I suppose. Love it. You hit the nail on the head there. And uh, just to transition a little bit, especially with problems or developer problems, I think a big problem in the industry right now is that we're kind of getting a lot of developers are getting ground down a little bit uh, and some sometimes not a little bit. So I know you've I think you've experienced signs of burnout before, but I'm just wondering now that with your experience with the nonprofit, with the uh, with your like learning how to code yourself and everything else, do you have any like early warning signs of burnout that you watch out for or that you've heard about? Yeah, yeah, burnout is is sometimes it it, it seems like burnout is inevitable. Um, I, I think the fear of getting that getting there is, is warranted, but also that it is very critical that we be mindful of these, you know, exact symptoms that I'll, I'll, I'll mention. Um, cause the, the severity of these symptoms is going to tell you a lot about, you know, that, that moment that is on its way. And when you will be forced to make some kind of difficult, even more stressful decision to break out of that, um, and, and for context too, you know, when we look at stress, stress tends to have phases to it. Initially, we identify that there's some kind of threat, some kind of cause for stress, and it, it doesn't need to be dramatic or anything like that. You know, maybe I'm, I'm playing a game and, um, you know, I realize that there is an enemy and, you know, a certain amount of stress is, is warranted, is helpful there you know, gets me ready to respond, react. Um, in that reactive phase, this, this next phase after that helps me to, to come up with what to do. It's the muscle memory that has me aim the mouse, the crosshairs at them. It, it is what helps me make these decisions without having to sit down and really think through it at a time where sitting down and thinking through it is not going to be beneficial. But we can only really be in these states for so long before we start to reach this phase of exhaustion. This is 
I can't come up with a solution. I don't know how to solve for what's going on right now. And I'm stuck. I feel stuck. We start to get very physically, mentally fatigued. We, we're doing stuff and it, 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 we're just completely out of, of body while doing it. Like if you've ever, you know, had to drive somewhere and, you know, you get in the car and you start to drive and then you look up and you're there. That's like, wait, what the hell? Is this safe? How did I get here? I don't even remember this. It stress does that to us. This exhaustion phase can do that to us, can lead us to just kind of default to our automatic behaviors because there are other existing problems that are overwhelming right now, not solved. Um, you know, you'll try and go to sleep at night and you feel like you're going to bed on time and then you wake up two hours later and you're wide awake. You're like, oh, well, um, do I just try and tough it out and stay up all the rest of the time until bed? Or do I go back to sleep and, or can I go back to sleep? You know, this is stress prompting your body to stay up and try and figure out the problem, try and figure out a solution rather. Um, so you start to, to notice a lot of these You'll also start to, when you're in this exhaustion phase, um, build all kinds of other solutions. So this exhaustion phase, it, it's, it, it wants a solution. It wants to be solved. So I'll play a video game with someone and they rage quit. And they'll say, yeah, I don't care about this game. This game sucks. You guys suck. You know, I'm out of here. And they'll leave. And it's like, wow, that's where is this person? Like, what, what is that person's deal? But it, it makes sense in the context of trying to escape stress, because if they actually can convince themselves that they don't care about this game, that it is everyone else's fault, but them, well, that solves the problem, right? I'm not stressed about this game anymore because I don't care about this game. They're trying to solve for that exhaustion phase. And so as burnout continues, we might notice our brain and our, our thoughts starting to gravitate towards, I should just quit this job. I'm just not going to clock in tomorrow. Maybe I just, I don't know, maybe I should have done something else. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't about getting into development or maybe I should have been, you know, like a hardware engineer or something. If you just start to find different ways that we could get away from what's causing us stress. We're not finding joy and excitement in what we're doing anymore. We kind of start to dread even doing it. The passion is, is you know, increasingly long gone. And each day just kind of feels like it's the same, same thing over and over and over again. Meaningless. There's no reward. There's no success. There's no victory. You know, you're supposed to do stuff around the house, or maybe you really wanted to learn another language just for fun. Like you want to take that Svelte course, which is, I think, still on sale. Um, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. The plug right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. But really, though, you should check that out. That helped me. Um, Thank you. So <laughs> you, you try and and find these other ways to de-stress, but you almost can't. It, it just feels like yet another thing on top of 
a mountain of other things that already need to be done. So you can't even relax anymore. Um, burnout really steals a lot of that away from us. Um, if you start to, to feel a lot of these things, it, yeah, we, we, could be, we could be experiencing burnout. You know, I also look at things like depression, but you know, in the context of, of burnout, usually what we'll, what we'll see is a, an overall theme is this just continued disdain, uh, content with or, or resentment towards the work. Um, sometimes even just responding to emails or Slack messages is like, I just, I'm done. I'm fed up with this. I'm dreading it. I'm not logging on to Slack. I'm not checking my email kind of deal. Um, and, and some parts of this is, is unfortunately really built into the role of a developer. Initially, I, I, I want to think, and at least what I've seen from, from some developers, you know, like myself, there's so much joy in solving problems. There's so much joy in figuring something out and seeing it work. It's such a, a tangible tangible profession, you, you get to almost manifest these things into existence. It's just amazing creativity and creation, but that kind of gets thrown off to the side when it's, yeah, I just need you to scaffold a dozen projects, or I just need you to make this same component a million times over. Actually, I just need you to fix this one little piece and the, the reward, receiving that kind of mental reward, feeling like you've really accomplished something, keeps getting pushed back further and further and further. Yep, that's great that you did this component, but that's not really it. This is, we actually need to do this now. Or no, we're actually going to going to scrap everything you worked on. It's We're going to go a different route. We've actually decided to use a different database. So get rid of that schema, start over. Um, or you get bounced around between different crunch times where it's you just contract after contract cramming out the same basic stuff over and over and over again. And you never really get to feel the satisfaction of that. And when you don't at least get some sense of satisfaction from that, yeah, you start to, to burn out. You're not getting what you need to sustain. So you grow tired of it. Um, it, it. It's a exhausting, very defeating experience. And I think, you know, thankfully some of the, the big, big tech companies are realizing that grinding people into dust actually really, really hurts their bottom line at the end of the day. I wish I could say, it's, you know, they're worried about the dev as much, but, you know, you have a handful of burnout developers that are just slugging through code, don't care about you know, making something really amazing, really incredible anymore because there's no incentive for them to mentally. Um, yeah, just as that's going to be why there's so many bugs in your code. That's going to be why it ends up just barely functional or not fully responsive. So... That was a kind of a long-winded approach, but those, that's what burnout tends to look like and, and even what some of the damage burnout starts to cause across the industry. Well, you made a, you made a really good point about, you know, the, 
like the, I, I'd say the corporate side of things, because I was thinking about this the other day and you can kind of like add some remarks to this, but I was thinking to myself, you know, it, it, it really sucks when you're working on either a corporate side of the thing or just working for a client if you're a freelancer or stuff like that, when it's not your project and you're super stoked that you got this uh, slider to work or whatever in a certain way and it looks really nice and responsive and you, you know, you, you dress it up really nice and you're passionate about this thing for whatever reason, this little component, this slider. And then you go to the client meeting and you're like, take a look at this. And you're kind of like showing it like, Hey, look at this, look at this, look what I've made. And they're like, why is it like sideways? I don't really like the font. Like, why is the picture like that? And then you're like, Oh, okay. And then your kind of passion is drained from that. And I, when I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, I don't really know a solution for that, you know, passion projects, but then you're just adding more onto the, onto your plate. And if you're on the way to burnout, not necessarily that this scenario is always the, you know, the reason for burnout, but in my opinion, it's sort of one of the reasons why people just call it in like, yeah, whatever, like the contact form worked once. I'm not going to test it again. Just ship it, you know, type of thing. Just kind of throw in the towel. Cause if you put your effort into it and it just goes like, Hey, that looks horrible. Just redo it you're just not going to care moving forward. So like, what do you kind of think about that sort of situation and like, you know, passion project versus like that corporate, I suppose, project. Yeah. That's so there's a couple of components there um, that no pun intended, but we, we see there is a break in the appreciation of knowledge that there were, you know, tons of times too, you know, when I was working on, on stuff related to rad, when I would go back to the team and I'd be like, look, look what I did. And they're just like, it's a button. Good. <laughs> like, yeah, but, like, you don't understand. It's got like the best set. Like I've per I've made this like perfectly modular reusable button with all of the right on listen effects. And like, it, it's just look how responsive it is. And like, I don't have to make a billion different buttons. Like I can just use this one and then just put the different uh, variables on it to adjust it. And they're just like, okay, well, how is that? Is that good? Or is that I'm like, oh, okay, bye guys. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea because so many people just see things and, and it, it just, it works and they don't really think about it beyond that. Like we're using this, you know, we're using Zoom now and like, we don't really notice much about it unless it stops working as expected. And then it's, then it's frustrating. But if it just works as expected, that great. It worked good for you. You did what you did the minimum, right? Like that's what I expect this to, to have worked. Um, so there's, there's a lot of difficulty with that. And I think the greatest solution for that is community. This is a, seems to be especially hard within the developer world because community is so fractured um, between what languages you've mastered, what frameworks you're you're tied to, what studio agency, you know, big tech company you're an alum of or actively working at. You know, it's there's there's just so many ways to break this apart. Um, there's so many different, you know, differences that that also change, you know, based on on where you're located, like a tendency to go towards VU, you know, there or using Nuxt instead of Next. Like that's 
there's just those little things that can start to break up belonging to a community, but it's, it's just so critical when, when you belong to a community and a community that shares some of this knowledge that shares these interests, maybe the boss doesn't care as much about the slider because they have no technical skills and they don't get how difficult it can be to make a slider actually work as intended. But somebody in this discord community does somebody in this hashtag on Twitter does, you know, it's, I think just a necessity at this point, it almost, you know, if you want to look at it in, I say selfish, but I don't think it's a negative term, but if you really just focused on, on yourself and don't usually contribute to open source, I, I think one of the best reasons for your own benefit to contribute to open source projects is that they're by nature collaborative and very rewarding and very appreciative when you make those kinds of simple fixes. Um, you know, don't want to add more onto your plate when you're already overwhelmed, but being able to share that knowledge, share that insight, even if it's just a simple slider to a repo where they're still trying to figure out something like that, or into a Discord community where there are some junior developers who are going to think that you're an absolute legend for having gotten the aspect ratio on this correctly. <laughs> That's what you need. And that motivation is a lot stronger. I mean, we've seen mountains of research, uh, research that even shows feeling appreciated and feeling autonomous, respected within your job role is more important than the actual salary past a certain point. So, you know, we want to make sure that we actually take advantage of that side and, and, you know, reach out to community and be in, be active about sharing what we're working on with others. That was, thank you for that. Uh, first of all, the, the burnout journey that you just took us through was sort of kind of a kind of crazy. Uh, I felt like I was actually going through those stages of burnout <laughs> as you were talking about them. <laughs> so I was like, Whoa, what's happening. Uh, but I, I think, you hit the nail on the head with it really, really well for people out there that maybe haven't experienced it or worst case scenario are in the midst of it. Because if you haven't experienced it, it's really difficult to find what it is. Um, one, one example that I had recently that really stood out to me was, you know, every day you go to the gym and your muscles tell you when to stop because at some point you just can't lift that weight. But the brain can't do that really until it just breaks. And burnout is something that could really like break it, break you. I've had it in very small quantities, thankfully. Um, but thank you again for that. That description, I think, aligns it with anyone that is going to go through it, at least. And the I, other thing that you mentioned with the community aspect is huge, in my opinion. Uh, ever since we joined Twitter, ever since we started the podcast, really, we started to feel part of the community. We have people that follow us. We have people that are just interact with us and help us on our own programming problems and we help each other. And that has helped immensely in terms of a growth as a developer and be avoiding burnout and avoiding other, other mental health problems and stuff like that too, because I'm able to, you know, have a back and forth with someone and I wasn't able to do that as much before. Now, yes, Matt and I 
we're, you know, we're both developers, we're both doing the same thing, but it was just the two of us and we were doing pretty different things. So the community added that aspect of being able to shop talk, being able to show off a little bit about what you were doing and it helped a lot. And I highly, highly recommend anyone listening to this to participate, especially if you're working alone or you're working in a team of people that are, you know, being used as cogs essentially, and you're doing the same thing over and over again. It's it's important to kind of get out there and participate in the community. It's It's going to help you, just period. It's going to help you. But with that, I kind of wanted to get your take on what we can do to prevent that journey, prevent that burnout experience. It, I know some of it is not in our control because if you're in a job, you need the money and stuff like that, and they're grinding you down. There's not much you can do there, but is is there something we can do? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think it's this is something that I, I've seen work for for everyone. Um, it, it can take some practice getting into this, setting this mindset, being able to, to channel into this, but so much is going to come down to routines, to boundaries, and to keeping one foot out. Um, you know, when I say keeping one foot out, it, it is very much having something completely detached from this identity as a developer something that you can fall back to when everything is very stressful. Like a, a good example here is, you know, if so much of what is, is challenging right now is related to, to code and, and creating, shipping something, everybody that you talk to that is connected to that you know, it, it can be helpful initially to to relate, but they're also a part of that. They're also still connected to that. And if you need a break from that, you you need a break from that. You you have to find a way to be disconnected from it. So, you know, you get into something like gardening, or you get you know into Path of Exile, which I, I wouldn't recommend because it'll consume your life but you could, <laughs> you could just find something else outside of all of this where you have a different community that you're a part of where if if things seem to to really spiral in this in this developer worlds you haven't lost touch with everything you you still have something um so, so being able to do that, I, I think, is is very critical. The the routine side and setting boundaries. I mean, a lot of life is people testing your boundaries and and you asserting your boundaries, and sometimes making compromises on those boundaries in romantic relationships and friendships in the workplace. This is a, a continued thing that will happen until we're not here, um, but setting them is is always critical this is when i am on the job this is when i am off the job this is when i will allow somebody to reach me page me maybe your uh, systems admin and something goes down okay but this is my on-call hour mentally that's what i'm saying to myself and this is when it isn't this is when it is somebody else's thing and 
I love what I do. I care about this. I don't want to have any issues at work, but this is my time now outside of this. And I want nothing. I can't have anything to do with that. It's too important to keep that separate. Um, For me, it's, it's very much, I'm, I'm on by seven at the latest. I am off by six at the latest. Everything else outside of six, six o'clock PM, it's, it's, that's me hours. I'm playing games. Maybe I'm learning a new language for fun and, you know, building blog stuff, thing, things not related to the nonprofit, um, catching up with friends or trying to make friends. There just has to be that, that clear separation and there needs to be the routine around that separation. If you apply that to when you eat and when you sleep, as much as it starts to seem robotic, it's actually very much in our benefit. Our body likes when we have that kind of routine, when we sleep at the same time, when we wake up at the same time, when we eat at the same time. The software we work on likes when you know it's very mechanical like that. It works better, um, but it, it's we we need those kinds of of things. We, we need to be able to have our minds change up and successfully move on to the next thing and not get stuck. If we don't ever create that boundary, then we don't mentally clock out and that problem stays with us all the way until the next day when we're working on it again, even though we might not get anything done, we don't not clock back in you know, after hours to try and fix it but it's still haunting us. So the, the more we work on creating that routine and that boundary, the, the better we get at disconnecting and ultimately the more effective we get at performing. Somebody who's super stressed out and sleep deprived approaches a problem very different than somebody who is with low stress and refreshed since so slept well. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think a lot of it is like very relatable for me. Um, I've gone through stages where I was totally loose with my boundaries, where I was working what it felt like forever. And I've recently really confined my boundaries. Like I, I have, I do have exactly what you're talking about, that strict schedule, and it's helped me a lot. Um, it, it might be not as good as yours where you have complete cutoff at 7 or 6 p.m., um, but I'm getting there like that. That is a goal of mine and I definitely want to get there. And I think it's a really, really good point and really, really good advice for everyone out there listening. And speaking of advice for everyone out there listening, uh, I'm sure there's people out there that are going through a lot. And we talked a lot about mental health stuff today. You have your nonprofit RAD, which helps people pay for uh, therapy. I kind of want to get your take on when is it the time to reach out for help, whether it's through you or through your own services. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, the, the time to get help is, is a unique question. Um, the, the blanket answer to, to this is, is I mean, anytime, right. Cause it's, it's almost like asking uh, when is the, when is a good time to go to the gym? It's, well, it's going to benefit you at any stage in life. Um, there's really no downside uh, aside from the cost, uh, a very big downside um, and the time, but it it is always really beneficial. The, I guess, more direct 
answer to that question. Um, I, I think when you notice that your life and the quality of your life is being interrupted, disrupted by the way that you feel and how often your thoughts seem outside of your control, you, you don't have to struggle to sleep every day. You don't have to wake up feeling empty, alone. You don't have to look at every social interaction that you have as at risk because if you act like yourself, people will leave. Or if you don't try, no one will talk to you. These are things that when we seek therapy, when we get that kind of help, we, we work through those thoughts. We work through those, those concerns. We become resilient to stress. We become passionate and excited about the challenges that we face. Or if there is nothing to be excited about or passionate about the challenge that is ahead, we, we still are able to persevere and find happiness. Life is always going to have a lot of challenges, and therapy by no means will make you immune to any of those things. I still face anxiety from time to time, depression, and it can get really bad. But my ability to have that, to feel that, and to course correct, to go, okay, I'm losing my sleep schedule. I can see what's happening. Okay, I can get back on track. Let's let's do this. My ability to do that is is dramatically better from therapy. Is is faster with therapy. You know, my my ability to go out and make friends and, and even experience rejection. I can do that with therapy and not see it as some kind of confirmation of my value. I can ship things and deliver things and focus on things because I trust that no matter what happens, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing my best and, and that's good. That works. You know, it's, life is, is challenging and, and many times unfair, but therapy just increases your ability to, to weather those storms. Um, so I, I think the, you know, returning back to the, the core of that question, when it feels like more days are suffering than not, when it feels like challenges are really taking their toll and there's the, the struggle to, to course correct, to, to feel well again, you know, when all of that is happening, that's, you have to start, you should start. And there's no other kind of measure. Um, some people say that they're just waiting until it feels like the right time when it just feels like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm ready for therapy that, that I, I, of the, the tens of thousands of people that I've had the, the pleasure and the honor of working with it, almost none of them got help because of that, that sense, that feeling they made that decision to seek help knowing that they would be uncomfortable 
and that there was a part of them that was avoiding doing that and and didn't want to but they they made that conscious choice of i i know somewhere deep down that this is the best decision and i'm not going to let anything tell me different i need this yeah i mean that's uh that's really good advice. I mean, it's, 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 it's advice too. That is just, you know, it's, it's straight up, you know, and you've experienced, you've experienced it. You know, you have tons of, you have tons of, uh, um, you've tons of like exposure, you know, you've obviously worked with tons of people and you've, you know, you've been there. And so, you know, it's really great advice that's accessible and it isn't, it isn't say medical, right? It's not like someone's like, wait till this level of this and this and this, right? It's very like, it's a very real result. And so, you know, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. And I hope, I hope that that advice uh, does, does help someone because I'm, you know, I'm, I am sure it will. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I know I personally waited much longer than I needed to, to get help. And it just, you know, looking back was just a lot of, of needless suffering. Um, you know, whether you feel like you deserve help or not is, is something that you, you look back on and you can understand how you had that mindset and how you would think that, but it's just so clear that that thinking comes from a place of very much needing and deserving help feeling like you don't deserve help is a symptom of this. It is, it is not the reality. Um, and I, th I think that that can be a major challenge. And, you know, for those, you know, for, for some, it is very much a, a matter of pride or ego. This could be, you know, culturally unacceptable to do. Some, some people see seeking help as, as a weakness and not just, you know, for your mental health, but for anything, asking for help is a weakness. But I think in the context of therapy, it, you know, it again is very much like going to the gym. It is uncomfortable. It is hard and ultimately extremely beneficial. And you did all the work you, you know, you could have a personal trainer, but you're still the one lifting the weights. Just like you will have a therapist, but you're still the one confronting the trauma and working through changing how you are wired and, and how you have always, you know, approached something or thought of something or acted towards something. It is, it is not something that, that is, is easy. It, it takes quite a bit of strength and courage to do, but it is something everyone can do. Do you think, and, and this is like from what I've heard from, uh, from friends and just maybe people even online and stuff, do you think that one of the barriers or maybe even like, maybe it's not a real barrier, but we think of it as a barrier is commitment. Like, do we think like, oh, great. Like, like, here we go. Like now I got to give up my, all my Thursdays and I got to join a, I don't know, a two week program or a seven week program or something, or, you know, that's going to eat up. Do you think that it's, maybe it is supposed to be a, you know, a, a larger commitment. Uh, but do you think that it's the commitment kind of also can like potentially get in the way? Cause as we've just been talking, you know, burnout, this and that, we all live such busy lives that there's just no, 
I mean, you, you, even your own origin story, you were saying, you know, there's just sometimes it just doesn't feel like there's time to do something for you. It's like, oh, I got to make sure that that client's thing's okay. I got to make sure this person gets picked up from the airport. I got to do this and that. Do you think that that, that is, you know, in, in addition to the symptoms and those type of things you've just been talking about, do you think that, that, that that's also like a barrier to entry that you find commonly in people? I see some people lean on that. Yeah, it is. Um, it's an interesting perspective to take. I, I think, you know, even looking back now at my experience developing, developing the website, you know, there, there were definitely times where, you know, I look at something that I worked on and I'm just, I think to myself, wow, like, why did I like spend so much time trying to do this? I could have actually just pass this along and it could have been much easier and, and gotten done. You know, maybe, maybe I should have just reached out to somebody about the backend side. Maybe I should have tried fundraising for the website instead of grinding more hours into it. And there's so many, so many different approaches. Um, but you know, it, it ended up being a net positive for me to, to have all of this knowledge base. And, and I think, you know, when I look at, at therapy and when I look at somebody who's, you know, looking at it from a time perspective is looking at it from, you know, it's, it's another thing to do on top of already being really overwhelmed with things to do. If we're going to be that practical, I think you have to break down that therapy is a force multiplier over and over and over again. How many inefficient hours is someone spending that therapy could have resolved. You know, if we're looking at it as productivity, that extra hour that you you overslept because you didn't sleep well last night, all those hours that you stayed up, the, the cognitive impact, your your ability to function and think through and solve these problems, be creative about these problems, all devastated by lack of sleep. I I almost think you you, you don't have time to to postpone seeking help it is <laughs> you really don't you you need it um, mm -hmm. you, even thinking of the applications outside of work i mean if you're in a romantic relationship the the therapy can be invaluable to that too communicating your needs and and you know being able to hear and understand your partner and them understand and hear you there's there's so many different applications that that this is re relevant to and you know again it's it's just how how much are we going to hurt before we you know make the time to to seek help that that's a really good point is the is the multiplier you know it the that's an eye opener, right? Like I, I would, I would hope for a lot of people where they would say like, whoa, like you're right. Like six hours, you know, I spent six hours last night scrolling TikTok or something when I was supposed to be asleep in bed, but you know, I just couldn't get to sleep. So I've just been sitting there scrolling, scrolling TikTok, which is fine. But like six hours, it's like, that's a lot of time when you could have did, you know, maybe an hour or whatever it is of therapy for the week, right? Even, you know, whatever the, the, the treatment regime is recommended or whatever, but you know, it's a, yeah, you're right. Like every little, every little thing. Cause now that person wasted six hours. Now they're tired the next day. Now they might miss their train. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on of, so what that lack of sleep and, and feeling terrible that, you know, can do to you. 
I, I think I, I see that, you know, get postponed a lot. We even can look at it from the corporate side of, you know, how, how many developers are we going to lose to burnout and then bad reviews of working at our corporation? Hey, these people just grind you to death. Don't work here. How many more people are you going to lose before you realize that your justification, just getting more shipped isn't actually holding weight that you're you're hurting yourself way way more than you're getting done and you know with, with the potential to always stumble across that 10x engineer who might actually already be at your company but is just burnt out not motivated you don't care about them so they don't care about you how much have you lost there in not activating on them not enabling them, empowering them, you know, how, how much are we missing out on in, in our own life by not living a, it to our, our truest sense? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of different ways to, to look at that, but, you know, some, sometimes I, you just thinking as a developer now, I think about it like TypeScript. Like I, yeah, I go back and I look at all of the stuff I was figuring out on the site before I understood TypeScript. And it's like, oh man, at, at any point I I can I can realize that this would it would have been smart to begin with TypeScript. That that was the the play. Um, right, right. But I can start now. I can start putting that in now and you know, maybe it takes a little bit of time, but how much is that going to save me in the long run, especially working on these open source projects when somebody can't, you know, completely destroy the whole repo, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. So there's, you know, that's a, a way to look at it. If you're a TypeScript advocate, therapy is TypeScript. <laughs> you, you've given us a lot of advice and perspective and, your nonprofit, RAD, does a lot for the community, does a lot for, obviously, people uh, struggling. What can our audience do to help RAD? Um, oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think the, the immediate piece is um, our, our repo is public. Our website repo is, is public. And you know, we're, we're definitely looking for help to, to just optimize, you know, really refine and improve the site. Uh, I know we're you know, still trying to figure out a lot of, of accessibility aspects to the site. We're still trying to, to, you know, shorten build times to increase page load, especially first content load is a little rough. Um, you know, there's, there's different pieces. I think that could really benefit from being worked on. We thankfully very graciously just had uh, open source raid guild go through and convert the entire site to TypeScript. So uh, we won't risk running into that uh, previous example of someone going in and <laughs> destroying the whole thing. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely need support there for any developers interested. Um, you know, we're looking for sure at developers for our EHR that we're working on and want to make open source for, for anybody to use. Um, and then just donating, 
Yeah, we're always we're always looking for donors. That's that's what covers the cost of therapy at the end of the day. If you're able to donate 30 bucks, I can get somebody started in a session this week and make sure that they they are on that that start to their journey. They start healing. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I'll I'll have the site link, the GitHub link in the show notes as well as uh We'll have the open source guild as well. Link to the show notes. Shout out to uh, to Mr. Evans over there. He's a great, great developer. Uh, with that, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us all your perspectives. I just saw you post a link in the chat there. I'm definitely going to throw it in. And anything else that you want to talk about? Like, I just want to kind of throw the floor to you, any sort of self plugs you want to do or any last final messages you want to give. Um, I, I think you know, the, the, the one thing that comes to mind, I think is something that I've noticed uh, a lot and, and I don't know how much it's talked about, but um, imposter syndrome seems to, to be a common one that I've come across in the developer world. A lot of people that that just don't really believe that they are as good as they are, don't believe they deserve any of the success they have, any of the praise they have. They feel like they just got lucky or they had to work ridiculously hard to do what other people seem to do effortlessly. It is very tricky navigating imposter syndrome but if any of those things sounded familiar it's it's probably what's going on it's probably what you're experiencing um it's it's really important to lean into community for imposter syndrome especially much like burnout to make sure that you're showing people what you're working on that you are allowing yourself to lean into community to acknowledge what you do, to support what you do. One person saying that, you know, hey, this is great, might not convince you otherwise, might not not break that. But a larger community, groups of people, more and more people, more frequently telling you and validating your skills, validating that you deserve the success that you have, that promotion you got, or, you know, encouraging you to apply for that job that just opened the value there is is just so incredible and so necessary it's it's so painful to watch people just not chase after the things that they deserve because they genuinely have have become convinced that they don't deserve these things um or i, I see this a lot with languages um you know we we look in imposter syndrome at procrastination very commonly you know, I'm just going to play a couple of more rounds of league and then I'll get to, then I'll get to my work. I'll get to that email. And, you know, that that's very common in, in imposter syndrome and just in general, but one of the less spoken components of imposter syndrome is, you know, not, not all people will procrastinate. Some will over-prepare. This is the person who really wants to make this idea come true, really wants to create that website, ship that product, and they they know that it, it's important, but they just can't settle on a language. 
yeah, but if I go with tailwinds, like there's still some pieces of it that people don't know or understand, or it feels like limited here. And maybe I should wait for 3.0 to ship, but you know, maybe, maybe I look at, at a different language altogether or, yeah, but if I go with for sell, I, I don't know, maybe I should, I should go in a different direction or now I've got to ditch all of this stuff and, and go completely brand new. It's Astro and felt all the way. Everybody will see I'm so innovative and doing really cool stuff or nope, we're, we're going back to basics. This is just actually going to, to be an old school vanilla JavaScript site. And that, that's, that's the play. This is a way that our mind tries to uh, anticipate risk and mitigate it. And it gets lost in that because the anxiety, the fear becomes the focus. We're so focused on not facing the possibility of rejection, the possibility of failure, of criticism, rebuke, of validating this really internal negative dialogue, seeing that it's true. Maybe I'm not good. Maybe I don't deserve this. I, I certainly can't face someone telling me that. So I'm not going to ship until it is perfect. And it is not perfect until I have solved this one one detail that anybody from the outside would look at and say, I don't think that even matters. <laughs> what? Um, you know, like you're post, you're making a blog. I don't think it, could you just write this in HTML? <laughs> I don't know yeah. if this needs to be a, a spell, a series of spell <laughs> components, man. Um, but, you know, that's, that's something we get caught up in. So if you get caught up in that, find yourself caught up in that. You really want to take a moment to, to explore seeking help, building that routine, leaning into communities, and doing what you can to break out of that cycle. That's some fantastic advice, honestly. Uh, and again, imposter syndrome is huge in our industry. Uh, it's constant, like I, I have it constantly. Matt has it. Everyone that I've talked to has it. I don't know anyone that doesn't suffer from it, but. Uh, it's for sure something that we need to talk about even more and more. And thank you for bringing it up. Thank you for taking through the imposter journey, the imposter syndrome journey, as well as the burnout journey. Uh, I think it's super valuable to hear it. And again, thank you for really, thank you for coming on. I, I learned a ton. I wrote down a ton and hopefully the listeners will also have gained some really serious value from this. It's it's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on, and and I just I, I can't appreciate enough just how amazing this community is. It's been so welcoming. Is <laughs> as someone new to it, uh, I really love it and excited to contribute more. Thanks you for being on the show. Absolutely, and uh, you know, really great insight, really great advice. And like Mike said, I'll be stealing some of his notes because uh, I was lazy and didn't do that. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Great insight, and I hope uh, I hope anyone that does need help uh, out there, you know, hears this. And if they do need help, that they uh, that they go get it, and that you shine a light at, on that uh, for them. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. And remember that you can find Jason on URRAD.org, just a little footnote to the 
interview there, urrad.org. A very noble cause and a really great interview. And we, we, I'd like to thank Jason once again for coming onto the show. But now it is time to end. So remember that if you like episodes like this and you want to support the show, you can do so by visiting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com, Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on SelfMadeWebDesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com, DL Ford from DLFord.io, Viv Hashash from Nine Block Media on NineBlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se, and Jeff from Twitter via at TheRithic. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.